The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. What we're going to look at this morning, and hopefully we won't take too long with this. Everybody says, that's awesome, Randy is uh, how does that affect, so we're talking about how does that affect us with outsiders, our family relationship, our uh, work relationships, class and race relationships. How does that affect us as believers in Christ? Most everybody in this room claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, claims to be a Christian. How should that affect our relationships with each other? We're gonna look at three metaphors that Paul uses in this passage. If you look at Ephesians 2, verse 17. And he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off. That's the Gentiles, the, the people that uh, Dale and uh, Kramer talked about last week, that those that weren't under the covenant before Jesus came along. And he came and preached peace to those of you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So it says, whether you were whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, he still had to come and preach peace to you. So whether today you grew up in church, you know the deal, you're a pretty good person, you've, you, you may, maybe cut your teeth on the pews of church, you know the deal, you know the way it works, or maybe you're from outside church, you have no sort of that kind of framework to, under, to understand life with, it's all right. He came, both people, both groups of people needed to be, have peace proclaimed to them. That whether you're a good person and you're inside the church or you're a good person outside the church or a bad person outside the church, you still needed peace proclaimed to you by Jesus Christ. For through, verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we're going to come back. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief, sorry, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is he talking about in this passage? He's talking about how, so we all come from different backgrounds, different history. If we, if we had time this morning, we could say, all right, give me a short version of your story. And there'd be a lot of us, we might have somewhat similar. I grew up in church and I thought I was a good person. And at some point I realized I needed Jesus Christ to die for my sins and place my trust in him. But how we got to that point would all be different stories. Our background, whether we grew up with money or we didn't have money, we grew up in the country or the city, we grew up in Ohio or South Carolina or somewhere else, we grew up, uh, we grew up rich, we grew up poor, we grew up in, whatever, the, whatever your history may be, it would be slightly different history, and then there would be even different histories and backgrounds than that. Hey man, I just, I, I never grew up in church, I didn't really know what it was about, I was out doing my own thing, my parents, you know, like, maybe we came to church on Easter and Christmas, or we never came to church at all, or, you know, I'd, I'd almost died from alcoholism, or I'd, whatever the, I had an eating disorder, or I had this and that, I, I didn't have good parents, and I, I tried to kill myself several times, and whatever the story may be, we all may have different stories, even in this small gathering here, we all come from different places. You know how hard it is to get a group of people together to agree on anything? 
It's like herding cats. Leading people is incredibly frustrating and difficult. I own a business. It's just a small business. I have some great employees. And I've been a leader in some capacity in church for years now. It is so difficult to get people to agree on where we're going to lunch. To get to, to get much less to try to get them to agree on anything more complicated. It is difficult to get people to agree on what color the sky is. Because I guarantee you, if we took a group this size outside and we said, tell me what color the sky is, 99% of the people in the room would say it's blue, and somebody would say, well, actually, it's not blue, and this is why. Scientifically, it's like this, or right now, it's not blue because the clouds are here, and I refuse to say it's blue because it's not. And we would get into a discussion and debate going back and forth over every single thing. We're all from different backgrounds and histories. You, we can't put them all together. We call America the great melting pot, but it just means that we're able to come together and, like, kind of agree on some basic things. But still, even in the great American melting pot, when you go to New York, you have Chinatown, and you have the so-and-so district, you have so-and-so neighborhood, and that's where, the, that's where the Latinos live. That's where the Italians live. That's where the Polish live. That's where these people live. We, you know, even though we mix together, we stay homogenized into our own kind, that we stay around people that we understand and that we agree with. And unity usually means that we're able to agree on one or two basic things that basically kind of keep us together. But what we're talking about here in this section is a deeper level of unity that should exist among believers, that should exist in the church. It should be incredible unity, unlike the world can see anywhere else, and yet an amazing amount of diversity in that unity. It should be an incredible amount of unity, but yet an incredible amount of diversity as well. So that when we gather on Sunday mornings, we gather in our community groups, we gather as believers together to share life together, that we don't share life together because I just happen to like you and you happen to like me. We don't share life together because we happen to make about the same money and drive about the same kind of car. We live kind of in the same neighborhood and we like the same kind of things. That we should have unity together that transcends the things that we naturally have in common. And that's something that you cannot find anywhere outside of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's look at three pictures he gives us of what that body, of what that church should look like. In verse 18, for through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we, all of us have access. We don't have access because of our pedigree. We don't have access because of our history. We don't have access because of how good we are. We have access to the Father only through Jesus Christ. So the door is the same door that we all get in. There's no back door. You know, we, we live in Horry County, and uh, there's, there's a, tons of people from New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio, welcome guys, that have, all, that have moved into the area. It still kind of runs in the good old boy system. And so there's several different ways that you can get things done or you can rise in society or, or rise in, uh, in rank or income in the area. As one way is to work your way really hard. 
be very brilliant, have a good idea that gets you up. The other way is just to know the right people, right? I mean, we all know those people. They just, they, they grew up in the right family or they have a right connection they made in college or in high school. They know the right people and so that helps them. That's sort of the back door. They may still be good at their job, but they don't have to rise because of hard work. They get a back door in. There's no back door to the kingdom. It's all through Jesus Christ. No matter whether you're rich or poor, important or not, whether you're famous or you're unknown, whether you're a really good person or a really horrible person, there's the same door that we get into the kingdom, and that's through the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. There's no other door. There's no other way in. And so we share that in common from the very beginning, that the only way you can get in is to come through the same door somebody else came through. And so if you're the kind of person that's used to special treatment, you're used to people laying things out for you, like laying out the red carpet for you. You don't like sharing a room or sharing a car or sharing a bus with somebody who's stinky and smelly, kind of smells like this room does right now. Then you're in the wrong place because the stinky people and the good-smelling people all come in through the same door. And for some people, you have to humble yourself to get in that door because you think you have it together but that kind of person, Jesus said the, the gate is narrow. You have to suck it in. You have to bend down. You have to crawl through the door and able to get in. And if some people, they come in, they've had life that's been really tough. They've had things that everything has gone wrong for them. They're the kind of person that all their news is bad news all the time. To them, that door is sort of like, it's, it's like an aha moment where somebody shows them interest and love. But we all come to the same door. To some, it's humbling, and to some, it's exalting, but it's all the same door, no matter what. Let's look at the next verse, verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints. So it's possible, we know people who, or know of people who live here with us, among us in the States, and no matter what your stance is on the borders and all that stuff, we have them living with us. And they are in with us, but they are strangers, they're aliens, they're not citizens of the United States of America, but yet they're here. They, they live here, but they're not of us, he's saying that's sort of like what we were when we're walking through life. You were walking through life before you met Jesus. It might have been when you were five years old. It might have been whenever you were 25 years old. But you're kind of walking along. You had, but you were, you may not have realized it, but you were cut off from being a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. First of all, he says that we, we are a part of a kingdom. We are citizens of a new kingdom. So we're going to look at these four questions on each of these three categories, and we're going to answer these and we'll be done. We're going to say, what brings us together? How are we connected to this metaphor? How are we connected to each other? And what responsibilities does that entail? So the first thing that we ask about the fact that we are a kingdom or a new society, that we are citizens of a brand new kingdom fellow citizens together is, what is it that brings us together? What brings us together in this new kingdom? It's the king. Now, that's the only thing we have to share in common. 
is that we now share a common king. Before, I don't know what your king was before you were a believer. It might have been uh, just your own sense of pleasure. It might have been, you might have served the opposite sex and always trying to please them or bag them. It might have been popularity. It might have been any given kind of thing that was your king. But now when we are now part of the new kingdom, we share a new king. That's what brings us together. That's the thing that we have in common, that the son, the prince has united us to the king. The next question is, how are we connected to him? How are we connected to the king? What is it that brings us together in this kingdom? This is we're connected to him as subjects. He is the king and I am not. We are members of a new society. We are now citizens. And so if you have somebody who comes to the United States and they're going to join the United States to be a citizen, then they, they go through a process where they learn about this is the way our society works. These are the laws. This is the way we govern ourselves. This is your responsibility as a citizen to the government of the United States. So this is your responsibility as a citizen to each other. We all have responsibilities as citizens whether we want them or not. Whether you want to pay taxes or not, you have a responsibility as a a citizen of the United States to pay taxes. You may not want to stop at the stop sign. You may not want to stop at red lights. You may not want to go 55 miles an hour. We have have two ways you can get to our house. The the way I come from work is Gardner-Lacey Road. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's a nice four-lane stretch of road that is maddeningly 35 miles per hour. And there is very little on the whole stretch. And nobody pays attention to the 35 miles per hour except me. I'm the only one that is going 35 miles per hour on that road. I'm bound by my conscience to, conscience to, to drive somewhere around, well, I'll, I'll be honest, somewhere between 35 and 40. That's where I'm going, really. Somewhere between 35 and 40, that's where I'm going on the road. I even put my, my car on cruise control to make sure I don't go over that because it's so easy. It's just stretched out before there's very little. There's some apartments here, and then it's just totally clear all the way to my subdivision. Nothing going on between there. You may not want to obey the 35 miles per hour. I may not want to obey the 35 miles per hour speed limit on Gardner-Lacey Road, but I am a citizen of the United States of America, of South Carolina, of the county of Ori, and I am bound to operate by certain laws, whether I like them or not, whether I agree with them or not. I share a responsibility, and we, as members of a new kingdom, share responsibilities to the king, but we also share responsibilities to each other. That the picture that he's drawing here is that within the society that we live in at large, there is a hidden kingdom. You can't see the king, he's seated in heaven. You, there's no borders, there's no government, there's no, play, there's no legislature where rules are passed or laws are passed. There's no book of law where it's held except the Bible, which is not held by any sort of law. When you become a believer, you're not held by any sort of law to say, this is the way you have to act and this is the way you have to do, but there's a new law that works within the heart of a believer that unites us to the king and unites us to each other. And it changes the way we live. It changes the way that we approach Money, it changes the way we approach relationship, it changes the way we approach uh, our responsibility to each other because now we're part of a hidden kingdom, 
a kingdom within a kingdom, a city within a city, if you will. There's no city hall, there's no capital. There's no mayor, there's no governor, there's no policeman running around. Well, there's self-appointed policemen. There's no official policeman running around making sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But there's a new law in your heart that causes you to react differently to the king and react differently to your fellow citizens. So we're bound together by the king. We are connected together as, as members, as fellow members of a new society. And then what responsibilities does that entail? Well, we already touched on it. It entails that we have deference and obedience to the king. But it also means that we have respect for each other that's based upon the new identity that we have. We have a new respect for each other as fellow citizens that's based on a new identity that we have. That my number one identity is no longer that I was born in the country of Horry County in the state of South Carolina, in the United States of America. My number one identity is the fact that I'm a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That God is my king. That's my brand new identity and that's what my, and because of that, I respond and react with my fellow members of that new society in a totally different way. Ever wondered, I know I've mentioned this before, but have ever been overseas on a mission trip or just overseas in particular and you ran into another Christian? You didn't share a culture? I've been to India. Let me tell you, that's upside down world over there. That's absolutely upside down world. India, it, it, India is it's, it's awesome and it's crazy for a Western mind. They're, they're Eastern, they don't think like us. There's, I was in a state, I told you before, that was the size of Tennessee that had 100 million people living there. They do things totally different. They see things totally different. Their history is nothing like our history. And yet when I would sit down in the living room, if you call it a living room, of my awesome hosts and friends over there, and we began to talk, we shared something that was in common that went deeper than a common heritage or background. In fact, he was the only member of the family that could speak English. His two daughters and his wife only spoke Hindi. And yet, even with them, we shared a deep connection and love that wasn't based upon having anything in common. He has no frame of reference to what my life is like here in the States. And before I went over there, I had absolutely no frame of reference to what his life is like. In fact, honestly, I probably still have no frame of reference to what his life is like because they treat us nicer than they would normally treat themselves while we're over there. They ate things that they would not normally eat while we were over there. But yet we had something deeper in common. We were fellow citizens of a new kingdom that was based upon a new identity. So being a part of this new kingdom or this society brings a unity of governance and culture. It brings a unity. We have something in common because we share a common king and we share a, a new kind of culture. Even though you may be from Ohio and you do things, you don't eat a slaw on your hot dogs, which is crazy to me. You have a, a hot dog is with chili, 
onions and slaw. That's a dog. But you guys eat crazy. You just you leave the slaw off or you eat sauerkraut on things. Like that's insane. Sauerkraut, that's gone bad. It has that smell because it's no longer good anymore. That, that's, that's my impersonation. But even though we don't share that culture together, we share a new culture that transcends whatever culture we come out of or we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? So he says that we are fellow citizens. We're fellow citizens of a new kingdom. Verse 19, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So as we look at these metaphors, we're going to see that each metaphor gets tighter as it goes along. The, our unity with the head, the king, the father, whatever we're going to be talking about, gets tighter and closer, more intimate each step that we take, and so does our connection with each other, which actually should be both exciting and, and quite honestly, if we're hearing it, very real for where we live and the way we live our lives as Americans, it'll probably make us a little bit uncomfortable. We are, a, we are members of the household of God. That means that we are a what? It means we're a family. It means we're a family. What brings us together as a family? It's the same, same sort of thing that brings us together as a new kingdom is that we share a father. We have a common father. That's what brings us together. That's what creates unity between you and me. Again, not background, not socioeconomic status, not where you come from. The thing that binds us together is we share a common father. My, my children, as you know, I have a five-year-old that was born of Megan and myself, and we have a two-and-a-half-year-old that we're in the process of adopting. We got some good news week before last. We stood before a review board, and they gave us two thumbs up. They, just, they basically said congratulations, so it's just kind of paperwork from now on. So maybe by early fall, mid-fall, late fall, somewhere in there, it will officially be done, and he will be our son. And when that happens, or actually already, because we don't view him any differently, already he's a member of our household. He's, our, he's my son, just as much as he, if he came out of Megan's body, if he was a result of us being together, he's still our son. But you know what? Megan, Sophia, and Landon share very little in common. If you look at him, she's kind of got olive complexion and kind of looks beautiful like her mom, dark hair and, and petite, and he is white. He may be whiter than me, which is incredible, if you can even think that's possible. He has kind of fair hair. He, his body type is, is shaped a little bit different. He, 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 he looks totally, they, they share nothing in common genetically, except now they share the fact that they are members of the same household because they share a common father and a common mother. They've been brought together to the same family. And that's the way it works for us as believers. We look different. We smell different. We have different backgrounds, different histories. But we're brought together into one family, into one household by the sharing a common father. And you know what? You can choose your friends. Uh, it, I heard somebody, you know, you guys heard, you can, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. You're just stuck with whatever you get. You, you don't get to pick. Who your parents are, you may like it or lump it. Landon, 
even though he was not born of us, he didn't get to pick us. He's just going to be a part of our family, whether he likes it or not. That's just the deal. You don't get to pick your siblings or your cousins. I, I would have changed some of that, quite honestly. We all have parts of our, maybe all of our family would say, I would, I would shift this out for this other thing over here. I would, I, would, I would, this is weird. I would change this. We don't get to choose. Same way in the body of Christ. When you're born of the Father, whenever he breathes his life into you and you are born anew and again, you don't get to choose who you're who your family is going to be. And some of them I don't like. I'll be honest with you. And he hasn't actually called us to like each other all the time. He's called us to love each other. And I'm jumping ahead. What, what brings us together? We're brought together by the Father. How are we connected to him? We are connected as children. We are members of the household. See how that's even more intimate than being citizens of the king? We are now connected to the Father as children. He chose you. We didn't all choose to have the kids that we had when we had them, but he chose you at the very moment that he chose to have you. And you personally, he chose to be his child. So then how are we connected to each other? We're connected as family. We're connected even more than that. We're connected as siblings. You might have grown up in a church where they said, hey, Brother Bill, and hey, you know, Sister Sue. And I always, you know, I kind of heard that sometimes, and it's kind of cheesy because I felt like, well, you talk differently in church than you do when you're not in church, which is something that absolutely drives me crazy uh, because it creates a dichotomy in our lives. When you, when you talk and act and think and react to people differently in church than you do outside of church, then you have a split in your personality, you have a split in your understanding of who Jesus is, that he's Lord, not on, just not when you're gathering together in a, in a smelly school or a church building, worshiping, but he's Lord even when you're at work and you're at home. So anyway, it would drive me crazy a little bit, but that is true, the fact that we are brothers and sisters. We share not only a common identity and the fact that we're members of a new society, we are members of a new family in a very real way, a way that transcends your physical, biological brothers and sisters in a way that transcends your physical and biological cousins and aunts and uncles and parents. In a very real way, we not only am I a child of the Father and I now have an intimate relationship with him, but now that makes me and you brothers and sisters together in a very real way. What responsibilities does that, new, does that relationship entail? Well, it's the same sort of responsibilities that exist in a, a healthy family. Unconditional love, affection, tenderness, and commitment through difficult circumstances. It should entail unconditional love, affection, it should entail tenderness, and it should entail commitment through difficult circumstances. You may not always get along with your brother and sister, but if it's a somewhat healthy relationship, then there should be tenderness and affection. You may not be buddy-buddy, you may not want to go fishing together, you may not want to hang out together all the time, but there is a, an affection and a tenderness between you simply because you're members of the same family simply because they're your brother or your sister. 
You might have a brother or a sister that drives you crazy and you're talking bad about them all the time, but somebody else steps up and starts talking bad about them. What happens? Things start bristle up and down your back. You, you become like a badger. You go after the person. You're, and it's sort of the idea that, you know, I can say stuff, but you can't say stuff about them. Because there's an affection and a tenderness between each other. And that our relationships as believers should reflect that kind of affection, that kind of tenderness. As we understand and we revel in the love of the Father to us. And we realize that that kind of love that he has for us should meet every one of our needs and transcend all of our desires. That spills over into the way that we interact with each other. We should react with love, unconditional love. You know what I'm talking about. The family kind of love, where people from the outside, they, they look in and they, they see your, you know, the, the black sheep of the family who's always getting in trouble, always messing up, and they just say, you, you should, you're, you're wasting your time and energy on that person, but you cannot help but to do it. I have friends of mine, maybe you've been through a similar situation, I have friends of mine who, their oldest son, he was just, he, always, he was always troubled. And they got to a point where they had, to, they had to lock their bedroom door with a deadbolt in order to keep him out from stealing their stuff. They couldn't leave things that were valuable lying around because they knew he would take it. But they didn't turn him over. They didn't give him up. Sometimes it was tough love, and they said, you can't live here anymore. You have to go over here. You have to do this. Sometimes it was, there was tender love, but they still loved him unconditionally throughout all his foibles and his weaknesses and his failures. And that's the way that we are supposed to love each other in the body of Christ because that's the kind of love that the Father loves us with, an unconditional love. And it should also entail a commitment through difficult circumstances. When times get tough, who do you rely upon? Your family. You call your parents. You call your brothers and sisters. I need help. You know when the chips are down, they're gonna be there for you. And that's the way we should be as a family together. When the chips are down, when things are tough, when you're going through a hard time, we should be there for each other. What kind of effect does that, what kind of unity does that bring? That brings us a unity of belonging together. And there's a certain thing about belonging to a family. Even, even if they drive you crazy sometimes, but you go home, you go with your parents, or you go to a family reunion, and there's just a sense of belonging. Hey, these people are hicks. I, 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 part of my family, well, all my family are probably, you know, they're from South Carolina, like, like, like I am. I'm not saying I'm different. I'm saying that, that's what they're like. And you go to a family gathering, and it, we may not have a lot in common, but there's a belonging with each other. There's a belonging with each other. We have a part of my family. Our family reunion used to be in this little country church outside Conway, and it's, it's like their fellowship halls in the middle of this graveyard. We'd get together and everybody would bring their country cooking together and we would hang out. I'd sit in that room as a teenager and think, I have nothing in common with them at all. But there's that sense of comfortability when you're with them because you belong with them. And when we gather together, there should be that kind of belonging with each other. I belong with you guys. You might drive me crazy sometimes. I may not want to go fishing with you, but we belong together because we share a common father, and that makes us brothers and sisters. 
Jesus Christ, our older brother. Let's look at the last picture. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the last picture he has of us being together is that we are a building. Or more to, to stick with the kind of the scriptural picture is that we're a temple. That we are being built together to be a, a dwelling place or a house for God. So what brings us together in this passage? It says, built on the foundation on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. The thing that, builds, that brings us together is that we share a common cornerstone. So in, in the time where this was written, uh, when they would build buildings, they didn't have like sophisticated surveying like we have now. So when they would go to, to, put, to put up a building, you have to think, like, all right, how are we going to make sure that the walls are squared, that, that the thing's not leaning or, or going sideways on us? And so they would lay a cornerstone. And they would build everything out from that cornerstone. This is what's going to be the core of what we, every lie, every line that we have is going to come from this cornerstone. So it was important that the cornerstone itself was straight and well-hewn. And Jesus Christ is our cornerstone that's laid. And he's the one that the whole building is being built out from. He's the one that sets it. He's the one that we share in common. How are we being connected to him? It says that we are being built together upon him, that he is the, that he and the apostles, the teaching, which is specifically their teaching about who he is and what he did, is the foundation that we build upon. He's the core of it. He's at the absolute base of it. He's the one that determines it. He's the one that is the bedrock that we are building it upon. The building will not shake. The building will not be firm. It will not be overturned because Jesus himself is the cornerstone at the base. We are being built upon him. Then how are we connected to each other in this metaphor? We're connected as fellow bricks, as fellow stones that are being joined together. Now see how this is even more intimate. You would think a building, that's kind of generic. Look how intimate this is. So siblings may not like each other, but we're joined by the fact we're part of the same family. You may live in California and I live here and we never see each other. We're still siblings. But this doesn't allow for there to be that kind of separation between us. Because the, block, the building blocks, the stones, the bricks are joined together intimately by mortar. In a good building, there is no space between the bricks. They are held together solidly, airtightly, watertightly by the mortar that joins them together. So here's, here's what that means. It means that we can't exist together in the body of Christ without each other. There is no such thing, you can't, you can't build a building with one block. You have to have multiple blocks together. 
multiple bricks together, brick upon brick upon brick, to build a wall, to connect the wall, to join it together, to create a building. There's no such thing as isolation in the kingdom of God. It is only as we are connected deeply to each other. And we understand the interconnectedness between, between each other. So I, as one brick, cannot stay in place with simply mortar. It has to be built upon another brick, which is built upon another brick. And the thing that holds that steady, if you just have a, a line of bricks, even if they were joined together by mortar straight up, it would fall if it doesn't have other bricks that expand out from it and hold it together. So it's this whole web of bricks that are being built together, this whole wall of bricks that are being built together that are joined by the way that mortar is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us and among us. That makes, that joins us together. It's only as those bricks are joined together that we understand that we are a part of the body of Christ. That we have to have connection to each other and dependence upon each other. To be a part of the body of Christ together, I have to have dependence upon you and you have to have dependence upon me in order to actually be the building that God is making. That is the only way. I'll run through this. What responsibilities does that entail? Well, it, it means a mutual accountability to each other. If we, are, if we have to be built together to be a building, to be a wall, to be, that grows into a building, then we have to have accountability to each other. We understand that my life is not just my life and you can't have any part of it. I have to be open with the people around me so they know what's going on. Because, because not only do we have mutual, mutual accountability, but we have a mutual mission. The mission is bigger than just my own relationship with Jesus Christ. The mission is that he is building us together as a church, as the church whole together to be a dwelling place for God. It's only as we are together being built together into mutual accountability and deep relationship with each other that he shows up in his presence in our midst and people from the outside come and see and look and his, see his glory and his beauty. They see his grace and his mercy. They see his justice and his love all radiating out of this group of people that are joined together by something that goes deeper than their background and their history and their genetics. We have mutual accountability and we have a mutual mission. This thing is bigger than you. This thing we're trying to build, not, not, not just large scale, but in this place, is bigger than you and me. We're trying to build a dwelling place for God himself, so that as we gather and live life together, as we worship together, as we help each other, as we encourage each other, as we help each other in our weaknesses and carry those who are wounded and nurse them back to health, and we bring in people who have been, have all kinds of, all kinds of problems that are going on, and we see God heal them and join them together. They are grafted into the building, into the, the body together all of a sudden we see he is accomplishing a mission in our midst. And he's accomplishing that in us and through us. We have a mutual accountability and we have a mutual mission. And that mission is a holy mission. Here's the truth, here's the hard truth about what we're talking about this morning, is that 
you and I as believers don't get the choice of whether we get to be a part of that or not. We're a part of it one way or the other. You're already a part of it. It just has to do with are you going to follow your king, your father, and are you going to be built on top of the chief cornerstone into a building that has, that's tightly wound with other people and other relationships? Our holy mission is together to experience and manifest the presence of God. That through us and the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with people outside of here, that we exhibit the presence and the beauty of Jesus Christ in our midst. So that when people come to Doxa, not just about Doxa, but when people come and be a part of our see a part of what we're doing here at Doxa or any other place, when they, when they come and they taste it, they see something more than what we put together. They don't come and say, hey, they have it together. They have a really kicking band or they have a good speaker or they have a really good children's ministry or they're really nice to me there. They see something that transcends that. That someone, capital S, is in our midst among us. That's why when you read the book of Acts, it says when people came in contact with the believers, that the believers themselves and the people around them were in awe because someone else was among them. And it was seen in the way they treated each other. So that brings a unity of purpose and a unity of dependence. We have a unity of purpose together that we're being, we're not just being built together as a building, but we have a purpose that we are building, being built into. And we have a dependence upon each other in that building. So, so what does that mean for us? Well, that, that means that, that that should shape the way I approach church. So when we talk about planting a church here or wherever, whatever church you're a part of, uh, we're not talking about just a group of people that come together and happen to like each other or happen to like the same music or like the same speaker. We're talking about a group of people who have a sense of a mission that's higher and greater. And they understand that it, it's that we're, supposed to have, that we're supposed to have mutual dependence upon each other, that I'm not allowed to come and be a silent member of the place, that I have a vital place that other people are depending upon me. They're depending upon me in their personal relationship. They're depending upon me in whatever gifts and talents and abilities I bring to the table. But all of that, we are dependent upon each other. And so that should shape the way we interact with each other. It should shape the way that we approach our time. Because God, be honest with you, that time is the most precious thing I have. If somebody came to me and said, would you give me $100 or would you come and spend the day helping me to do something? I would gladly give them money before I go and spend the day doing something I don't want to do. But you know what? Family, citizenship, and being built together into a kingdom, into a, into a building, all require doing things that I don't want to do for the greater good. You know what happens when that happens, when you do that? When you put that investment and you change the way that you live, the way that you view relationships, you find a deep richness of life that you would not have found otherwise. You find relationships that are, that are exciting and fulfilling. And you find, in truth, that you know Jesus Christ better than you did before. 
This is my last story. I'll be done. There's a, this guy named C.S. Lewis. He's awesome. You've probably all heard of him. Read everything and anything you can by him, including the fiction. The Narnia series and the Space Trilogy series particularly are full of amazing, amazing stuff. But he told a story about how he, there was, he had this two other friends that were really close together, and they would get together at least every week to hang out and drink beer and smoke pipes and do cool English stuff like that and talk about whatever really smart people uh, that live in uh, Oxford. He was an Oxford guy. Would talk about in a pub or at their homes or whatever, and and uh, they were very close together. They got older, and one of the three members died. I forget the name. We'll call him Ronald. Ronald died, and uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he, they called him Jack. He thought, well, the good part about this is I'll be able to know this other guy. We'll call him John. I'll know John better because I'll have him to myself. So it'll be just he and I getting together. So we'll, I'll get to know John better. We'll have more intimate time together than we did when Ronald was there. But he said what he found happened whenever the, just he and John got together is that he actually didn't know John quite as well as he did before. Because Ronald brought something out of John that C.S. Lewis couldn't bring out of him. Have you ever noticed that? Like, maybe you have some friends together, and one of the friends is out, and things are just, the whole dynamic changes. Because each of us bring different things out of each other. I've seen, I've known Megan a long time. We knew, I knew her five years before we got married. Uh, we were in high school. Uh, we've been married a while. I've seen things in Megan with Sophia that I never saw before. And now that we have landed, I even see new things in Megan that I didn't see before. We have other friends that we'll go and hang out with, and I'll see things in Megan that there'll be certain parts of her wit or certain parts of her personality that'll come up when she's around certain people that I don't see other, at other times. Nothing wrong with that. It's just the, the way that our personal interactions occur. And the truth is that you, the only way you can know more about Jesus Christ, to know him more deeply is to know his people more deeply. There's not enough Jesus in me, if you will, for me to know him completely and fully. It's only as I have a wider and wider network of people who aren't like me, who come from a different background, see things differently than I do, that I begin to know him more and I know him better through each other. So it's not only for a greater mission, but it's also for your happiness and for your growth as a believer to know him more and to know him better. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that, um, that you would help us to see in the scripture today that, you've, that, you've, that Jesus Christ's coming and coming into our lives is supposed to totally transform our relationships that it should totally transform the way I, I look at my relationships with outsiders, people that are differently than I, who are different than I am, who see things differently than I do. But it should also transform the way I interact with my fellow believers, that we are now fellow citizens, that we are now fellow members of a, of a new family, and that we are being built together as fellow stones, fellow bricks that you're building into a habitation for you. So Father, I pray that you would help us to, um, to change the way that we think about our relationships with, relationships with each other, 
change the way we interact with each other. God, I pray you would help us as we're planting this church, as we're setting the DNA of who we are and who we're going to be, that you would help us to be a group of people that take that very serious. I take it very serious that, uh, that you are building us together into a habitation for your presence, that you've called us to experience and to manifest your presence in this community. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that that has been created because of the new relationship we have with you, that you are our king, that you are our father, our daddy, that you sent this, your spirit into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, very, in a very intimate way, and that we can rejoice that we are building, being built together into a building, to a temple that your presence dwells in and among. As we... Uh, prepare our hearts for communion as we uh, prepare to, to worship. Close out the service this morning. I pray that you would help us to sing and to rejoice out of that place. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.